Yes. Or for tonight's podcast, Hail to the Chief, baby. Groovy, man. <laughs> Groovy. I, I love it that you started with Ash. I um, got a call the other night. I haven't even told you this yet, dude. I'll do this on the podcast from Richard. Uh, wait, forgive me if I'm getting his name wrong. Yeah, Richard <laughs> over at Popcorn Theology. Okay, yep. And uh, picking my brain a little bit on a movie. Mm-hmm. And I said, do you want to get me and Nathan on? And, I, and he said, you guys like the same movies? And I said, I'm not entirely sure. Superhero movies, yes. Mm-hmm. TV shows, no. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I said, but he never got back to me. I said, we're both big fans of Ash versus the Evil Dead. <laughs> and I didn't get a response. And then he finally said, why don't you hit me? He says, why don't you and I at least start, Greg, on Shawshank Redemption? <laughs> there you go. So maybe they need to watch Ash versus Evil Dead. But that series, Nathan, is awesome. I cannot wait for season two. I know. And I can't wait to exercise my liberty in Jesus <laughs> to watch it because it is that enjoyable. Greg, you have no idea how happy it makes me that I have thoroughly corrupted you yes. in that area. Yes. I take total credit for that one. You, you have. It, it's uh, for anybody listening in our mutual friend, Andrew Landis, yeah. Yeah. Who's, who, who's been on this before yep. uh, a year or so ago when we talked. I think it was Cinco de Mayo, so yep. literally almost yep. uh, a year ago. He had the honorable distinction of saying, man... He goes, hey, remember, when I met Nathan, he didn't even drink. <laughs> and he met me, and now he manages a liquor store. <laughs> so, you know, uh, so it's nice to have an impact on you, Nathan. That's right. Or, and you to have one on me. That's right. So uh, very, very good. But yeah, Ash versus Evil, dead groovy, baby. So um, we're, we're going to go ahead and dive right in because there's so much to talk about today. Um, we're going to be talking about politics. We have two great guests on. Um, Shaheen Yousefi, um, who is a member of our church. Um, great guy when it comes to politics, very knowledgeable um, in a variety of subjects. But I found um, really when it comes to things political and, you know, that sort of scene that, Shaheen, you just have a great mind. And so um, you're going to be first up on the list. How are you doing tonight? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself so our uh, audience can get to know you a little bit. Friends, family, all that crazy stuff. Sure. Um, I, I've managed to keep a couple of friends around. Um, <laughs> I can testify. I've seen one. Yeah, there's <laughs> at least good. one. Right. Not, not counting the paid ones. Right. <laughs> right. Unlike Trump, I do have fans I don't have to pay yes, for. Yes, that's right. Exactly. <laughs> Ooh, I like that. You got us on politics early. Good. Uh, so I have uh, my wonderful wife, Bethany, is... Uh, and she and I are parents of four children that span the ages of 10 down to two, mm. kind of evenly spread throughout. They're also very active kids. So our lives are pretty busy. We have uh, a lot of sports activities and extracurriculars in their school that they're involved with. Um, so I'm glad that I was able to carve out a few minutes here. I actually came from coaching lacrosse practice tonight. Sweet. Um, so I left a couple of other coaches in charge and then – sped down the road and i got halfway down the road and i saw uh greg's message that he was running late and i was like dang <laughs> <laughs> well, it was too late i was already gone at that point <laughs> oh, man. Man. Uh, well thanks so much for joining us we're glad you were able to carve this time out too and so we're looking forward to, to getting here. into some of the topics and then uh emma middleton is joining us as well emma how you doing today I'm good. How are you? Doing well. Thank you. Um, Emma and I actually go way back. Uh, My wife was her teacher back in... Middle school, yeah. Yeah, middle school. (laughs) Um, You're a sophomore at Towson now? Right. 
go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself. And also, um, one of the reasons why, um, I particularly wanted to have you on this podcast is some of your credentials of what you're doing at Towson. So give us a little bit of background about yourself. Sure. Um, so like you said, I'm a, I'm a sophomore political science major at Towson university. Um, through my time at Towson, I started off, uh, joining the SGA there. Um, I then joined the college Republicans, which I'm now the president of, um, my organization there has been huge. We went from about three students last year to about 30 students this wow. year coming every week. Um, we've been really active on campus. We were able to go down to D.C. Um, to the rally against the Iran nuclear deal. We've been to Annapolis multiple times lobbying, um, trying to get you know visible on campus. That's been a really cool outlet for me. Um, in addition to that, though, I'm also the uh, student coalition chair for the Ted Cruz campaign. Um, this past winter, I worked as a field director in New Hampshire working on the campaign, um, and I came back here and have been continuing my work there. Um, and then in addition to that, this year I've been sitting on the Maryland Youth Advisor Council, um, which is a council that was created by legislature to advise the governor on youth uh, issues in the state. And then I also sit on USMSC, which is the uh, University System of Maryland Student Council, uh, which is a council that oversees sees uh, the essentially it's the student voice uh, for all the public institutions in the state of Maryland. So Towson, University of Maryland, uh, and it runs the gamut. Very cool. Whoa, hold on a second here. <laughs> hey, Greg, Guys, do you want to give your credentials? <laughs> well, I was going to say, <laughs> Emma is 19. <laughs> the youngest podcast guest we've ever had on this show. And she rattled off very, very eloquently those credentials and I'm thinking 19, okay? I was at Towson, too, 1989, <laughs> and uh, I ate pizza, I skipped several classes, and I played a lot of Super Mario. <laughs> Honestly, I'm not embellishing anything. I was a part of zero organizations, carrying like a 2.2 GPA. So uh, I just, I'm done, man. I'm checking out. I do what I can. Uh, well, and you so, round up in ministry. I was going to say, well, it's the only place I could find here where I could kind of continue the gig. Oh, did I? Dude, you can take that out. Wait, and you post still that. play Mario? Right. <laughs> Mario, I can't anymore because our kids have upgraded games. But wow. Shaheen, when you were 19, dude. I mean, where were you? You've always been a pretty active go-getting kind of guy. Were you in? Yeah, I was, I was working full-time. I was in school full-time. And um, uh, let's see. I might have been – I don't think I had met my wife yet. Okay. I think I was coming up on that. So it wasn't too long after that. Oh, I had. We had met, but we weren't in, involved at that time. Okay. But, yeah, I was working full-time and going to school full-time. That was – Interesting. Wow. Man, I'm feeling so unproductive. Actually, I'm coming up on my tw – this year is my 20 year from high school. Wow. That's – I, so I've been out of high school longer than you've been alive. <laughs> I was going to say. Actually, I never yeah. feel old, but actually really, really depressing. Yeah, I am so stinking decrepit in this room tonight. <laughs> Dude, tell me you were like me at 19, more of a loser well, like here, I was. Here's the issue is because um, I my birthday's in December, so I was always a year older than the rest of my classmates or most of them. Yeah. So at 19, I was a senior in high school, so I was stupid busy with high school stuff. Now, so you were like doing stuff. Yeah. Just Sorry, man. Move on, brother, man. This is <laughs> this is depressing. But Emma, man, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, just so you were in New Hampshire this winter. 
Right, yeah, I was there for about two months. Um, okay. I was working the yeah, I was a field director, so it was crazy. I had about uh, 20,000 people across thirteen towns, um, wow. and I was basically charged. I mean, I came up there blind; I'd never even been to the state, um, and I had to organize phone banks, door knocking, volunteer rallies, you know, host the senator when he came up, um, and they basically just threw me to the wolves and said, "Go into these towns you've never been to before and get forty people to vote for Cruz in every neighborhood." And wow, it, it was uh, it was challenging. Um, Definitely, I would say so, but I, I, it was a great experience. So you've, and you just said you, you've met Ted Cruz. Right. Yeah. Wow. Now, am I getting ahead, Nathan, to ask what that was like, or do you want to? No, go for it. What was it like? What, um, what is he like? Maybe gosh, I mean, friend. he's incredible. He's a brilliant man. Um, yeah. I know you've probably heard it before about his uh, audiographic memory. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. Um, so. so basically what he has, it's, uh, it's a memory like photographic, but he can remember everything he hears and he says, wow. um, and so, I mean, he's a, he's absolutely brilliant. That's why when you watch him in the debates, you'll see, um, you know, he had that spoof going around when he called out the, uh, the, the uh, moderator where he was saying, well, you said this to Donald Trump and this to Ben Carson and this to Carly. Um, and, you know, that's not fair. And if you go back and check, you know, he was saying word for word exactly what the moderator had said. And you can say, wow, like he must have been writing all that down. But he's just got this incredible memory. Um, he'd memorized the Constitution by the time he was 12 years old. Um, wow. People said he's memorized the Bible as well. And he can just rattle off verses. And uh, that's one of the things that really drew me to him as a candidate initially is when I when I found out just how brilliant he is, the, the number of Supreme Court cases he's argued in one just because he can remember the facts. He doesn't get just like stumbled up. Um, and so yeah, when I met him, that was absolutely the first thing I saw about him was just how absolutely brilliant the man is. Wow, um, it, it really shows. Yeah, because I did. You guys remember, I mean, not as you well know, Nathan, I haven't exactly paid close attention. But one of the earlier debates didn't um, was it Rubio that that made he took a shot at him or something and said he can't speak Spanish. I saw that <laughs> clip go, and then he then he started speaking Spanish. Right, right. That was pretty cool. <laughs> I'd love to that. be able. Wouldn't that be awesome? I love if, that. Yep. If, if somebody <laughs> calls you, you out in front of everyone, and then boom, you can just hit him right back. <laughs> I've never been able to do it, but I fantasize of being able to do stuff like that. How cool, man! Very. Very good. Um, so we actually um, – we have two main topics that we want to talk about tonight, um, and I'm sure both of those will lead into other things. And in case we don't get to the second one, I won't mention it until we get there. Smart. That's how we do podcasts Smart. here, Greg. Um, the first one is Greg and I have been very open about being um, uh, politically apathetic particularly when it comes to this election. Um, and one of the reasons why we wanted Shaheen and Emily on is, um, Shaheen, you actually had a comment when we started talking about this back in November. You felt like Greg and I were being um, so apathetic to the point we were um, basically telling others to be apathetic mm -hmm. when it came to uh, came to the election. Talk to us a little bit about that, like just your impression and, and your thoughts on that. Yeah, because that was a good conversation, dude. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so just to just to be clear, let me parse this a little bit. Um, we've so my wife and I we've been coming here for quite a while, a couple mm -hmm. years before our oldest was born. So I think we're coming up on like twelve years now, and that entire time, you Greg has maintained, you have maintained the stance that the pulpit shouldn't be a place for political. Uh, posturing for political stumping, mm -hmm. and and I respect that and I appreciate that. So I felt recently, and this is kind of sort of why I called you out on it, that um, it seemed to me that the stance had changed from 
the pulpit is not the place to put forth political candidates mm-hmm. to the Christian's response ought to be political apathy. Mm, yeah, yeah. And there, and there were examples where you're citing first century Christians didn't get to pick Nero. They mm-hmm. were stuck with him. And you, you've made comments in the past about the Revolutionary War and how if you had been born at that time mm-hmm. that your response as a Christian ought to have been to – be loyal to Britain as a British citizen. So th- there yeah, were some that of those go things. over well. But anyway, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there were some of those things that are starting that were starting to accumulate, maybe, kind of accumulate in my mind. Mm-hmm. And then when I heard on the podcast, it seemed to be bleeding through again. I was like, you know, I, I think that as a pastor, mm-hmm. uh, everything that you say has so much more gravity, mm-hmm. and even things that you imply, whether you realize it or not, become gospel truth to people, to the people listening to you just because of your position. Mm-hmm. So it's a tremendous amount of pressure. It's really difficult to be up in front of church, three services, preaching, whatever, and little things here and there like, you know, Greg watches TV or Greg does this or it doesn't even matter what it is mm-hmm. because you do it, it's it becomes the gold standard. And so what I was asking was, A, uh, or is that true? Is is that your position? Are you saying that the Christian response is to be apathetic? Mm-hmm. Should should we rightfully read the scripture and our response ought to be to not care about politics? And if so, or well, let's say if not, then I was asking if you could clarify because I thought that's what I was hearing. Yeah. And so that that was kind of the basis of my comment to you yeah. and why I brought it up. Yeah. Um. Once you answer, then I can kind of share where I'm coming from on that, and we can jump into that a little bit. Definitely, man. Definitely. Um, Yeah, that was really good. Uh, I think you put that out initially in a text, Shaheen, or it might have been Facebook. I think you're right, yeah. But uh, I remember us kind of going back and forth. And it did give me pause to think because I thought, honestly, Shaheen, until you had pointed that out, because Nathan and I, I think on our very first podcast, Nathan, you would ask me about the changing of the guard. Mm-hmm. Remember Larry Hogan yep. had just become our state's governor, you know, one of the few Republicans, uh, Ehrlich, you know, a few years prior, but very blue, left-leaning Democrat state. Uh, and I remember saying there, you know, man, I've become pretty you know, politically apathetic. Mm-hmm. And that, that has come up occasionally, mm-hmm. uh, probably because now we're in a full swing election year. And it's forced the issue a little bit more. We did the episode on Trump as kind of a cultural phenomenon. Yeah. And at the time, dude, I listened to that recently in prep for this podcast. You and I, and I think Dave Shy, both thought in a month or two, nobody's going to be talking about yeah. Trump. Because yeah. he seemed like a flash in the pan cultural phenomenon. And I, we'll get to that, I'm sure. Um, so I, I guess what I liked about you putting that out there for me uh, is that I hadn't really thought oh, what am i saying that's what the christian should believe or he should be apathetic and um so i'll try to answer that for our audience as well um no i'm i'm certain of that i don't in other words if we have freedom in christ which we certainly do i think we my my take is that we have the freedom in christ to be like emma and Emma, I know, and I mean it, just your credentials and your passion, it's very obvious. God's gifted you. You're very bright. You've got a tremendous amount of energy. Um, and to be 19 and to be that hands-on, I just love that. And I'm not just buttering you off. I love that. I think that uh, the Christian has the freedom to be 
politically active. Now, I would say how one goes about that becomes important. You know, we don't want to confuse gospel uh, initiatives necessarily with political initiatives. So I think there's a way to be very, very politically minded and still be gospel-centered. I know gospel-centered is kind of a cliche, but I think you guys know what I'm, I'm, uh, I'm talking about here. So likewise, what I would say uh, to your question, Shaheen, is that I believe the Christian has the freedom, now this is controversial enough, mm -hmm. to be politically apathetic. That's controversial, and I welcome both of your comments on that throughout this talk tonight. I know you share that with me, Nathan, because mm -hmm. we've talked about that so much. Um, but I do not want to suggest for anybody listening uh, that this is the way a Christian should be. Um, I think a Christian can be politically active. I would say all those uh, uh, points you made, brother, like uh, Nero, I would still hold those forth. That's right. Nero, uh, I mean, it would have sucked to have him as the equivalent of your president. Uh, but it didn't impede the mission of the church. So our brothers in North Korea that have... Maybe even bolstered it. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. In fact, I think you could argue that, that it probably did. Yeah. Our, our brothers in North Korea... We had James Chu on not long mm -hmm. ago and, you know, the underground Chinese church. And um, they don't have access um, to political capital, obviously. So in a sense, they, they can't even – they don't have the luxury of debating these issues like we do. So I would say uh, I have no problem with Christians that are politically minded, politically active. I only get uncomfortable when the two get merged, mm -hmm. you know, and for the longest time – I felt in my family, which is liberal Democrat, how I grew up. I mean, I I look back and I this is just for me. I feel like I wasted many years defending George Bush, Newt Gingrich, and not that I needed to bash them, but if I could go back in that time with my family, I would just listen and say, "No, I hear what you're saying. Cool. Hey, let's talk about Jesus." You know what I mean? But I linked in my mind political conservatism with Christianity so that I think I did the disservice of making my loved ones feel that they were one and the same. Mm -hmm. That's on me. I'm not putting mm -hmm. that on anybody but me. And one pastor who told me I should do that. But that's a story for another day. <laughs> was so, it the Reverend James King? Yeah. <laughs> no, it was not Reverend I didn't know who James King was back then, man. But um, so I would say... Um, Shane, I, I, even even one of my elders, um, and I'm going to call him out as a buddy of mine, Bill Heidel, who's going to be on here May May 30th or something. Mm -hmm. We're uh, with uh, Steve Hartland. Mm -hmm. We're going to talk about guns, gun control, and all that stuff. Bill, I think, is much more politically minded than I would be, which I think is awesome. You know, so that's my very long answer to Shaheen's short question. Shaheen, and then Emma. Yeah, no, I I understand. I respect that. I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. I think I uh, I am of the same persuasion I, I get uncomfortable when american christianity becomes synonymous with the republican party mm -hmm. and i think that we have a special opportunity here in this country to be very active and very influential mm -hmm. and very very much a part of the political process in a way that's unprecedented in history mm -hmm. and it would be a shame to squander that oh, cool now with that said we certainly have the right to abstain, mm -hmm. right? So there's many people that have died to give us that freedom precisely mm -hmm. because you can opt out. Yeah. 
And so I support that and I respect that. But I appreciate you clarifying. I, I definitely, I would say I didn't, I wouldn't have agreed if you had said that the Christian's response is to be politically apathetic. So yeah. I'm glad to hear that you're not going on the record as that. No, no, I think that was good. And again, brother, I hadn't even thought about that until you asked that. And I thought it does kind of show you're right what you communicate. You don't think about it sometimes, the implications that are carrying uh, through your message. Uh, people might be hearing it. Oh, I guess I shouldn't. Like, I would never, and I'm not just putting you on the spot, I would never want you to hear me say that and think, oh, boy, I, am I doing something wrong? I don't think that at all. You know, I think it's always about the manner and the mode um, by which we do things, whether they're political, apolitical, artistic, um, you know, recreational, that there is a always a message from the Bible that tempers how we go about things and how we do them. And, uh, I mean, if Christian wants to run for office, wants to run for president, on a personal level, I don't get it, man. Because 50% of people, every time you open your mouth, hate you. And, man, it's hard enough, you know, when maybe 20% feel that way about you in church. But, again, another podcast for another day. And that – and that, sorry, I know we, we you want to respond. I just – I want a quick aside. Yeah. I think that gets into part of my perspective that there's – there's different things that – there's different outcomes that one can look for. So, for instance, our our responsibility as Christians is to be ministers to our society, right? Yeah. To to affect change from the outside in, right? And we, we are those vessels that God uses. But then our responsibility as citizens of the United States or our privilege as citizens of the United States – is to be part of the political process. Mm -hmm. And the two are distinct and separate. So you can't, like, I, I don't advocate making American law into Bible law. Uh -huh. I think there's solid foundation there, but I wouldn't, you know, I, I wouldn't be advocating the sacrifice of doves right. for the right. atonement of certain sins. Yeah. yeah like, it, it doesn't fit and it's not appropriate. Yeah. So, sorry. Sure. Um, so I would agree with your initial statement. Um, I, I wouldn't demonize anyone for being a Christian and a Democrat. Um, I don't think that Christianity and the Republican Party are synonymous. Mm -hmm. um, and I would agree with that statement because I really do think that uh, there is a lot of um, you know, attacking going on that's unnecessary between the two parties, where uh, if you look at like an issue like gun control, um, we both see a problem, right? Um, a Democrat and a conservative see a problem with gun violence. Um, really, the distinction there is how you address that problem. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not, it's not really like a, a one party's morally wrong or one party's morally right. Um, it's really just two ways to approach the same issue. Um, and so that's really the distinction I see. And, and, and like, both of you, I think, have kind of exclaimed. I don't think that, um, like I said before, I don't think that your Christianity is synonymous with any political party um, or being politically involved in general. Mm -hmm. um, what I would say is that I do think that as a Christian, I personally, and I think I could speak for all Christians to say that we're charged with a responsibility that's greater than that of our peers who are not saved. Um, and the reason I say that is that I see, uh, you know, in Scripture, it talks about us being stewards, right? We're stewards of the earth. Um, we're given dominion over the earth. We are supposed to be salt and light, right? And they called, you know, our country the, the shining city on a hill. That's what we're supposed to be. And so, as you mentioned before, when you were talking about, you know, Bible being synonymous with law, um, I really do see a correlation there. And the reason that I see that is because um, you can look back at, uh, you know, actually, so Ted Cruz, his father, Raphael, he gave this great speech uh, earlier this year where he was talking about his escape from Cuba and how mm -hmm. he was coming to America and he'd never been here before, but all he knew was America was freedom, right? America was liberty. America was uh, freedom from this bondage that he knew. And so what he was saying in his speech was that 
he was so adamant about electing Ted Cruz, his son, to the presidency because he saw that as restoring freedom, his, his slogan, re reigniting the promise of America, right? Mm. And so what he was saying was that if America was to fall to socialist values, like, like Cuba, right, like Castro, if he, they were to fall to immorality and to be, you know, legalizing sin, right, if they were to get to that point, he said that he feared for his, you know, his relatives back in Cuba that one day there wouldn't be any where for them to run to that mm -hmm. we were this city on a hill this beacon of light and if we were to fall to that point all of those lost souls would have nowhere to run to mm -hmm. and so i really that that point resonated with me so much because um actually ted cruz said this at the last speech i heard him say where he said yeah we want to make america great again but do you know the values that made us great in the first place mm -hmm. and i think that i as a christian i'm in this position where i know those values it was judeo-christian values that founded this country and so i'm in this you know, privileged, honestly, position where I'm given the knowledge and the tools to know right from wrong, whereas a lot of my peers may not have that knowledge, may not have that ability. And so I see my responsibility as a Christian is to, you know, God has given me that gift and that privilege mm -hmm. that I should be going out and, and doing something about it. Because honestly, I can sit here and say, well, they're legalizing murder, right? Like abortion, they're legalizing murder. And I can say, well, I don't care. You know, that's fine. Like, I, I disagree with that. But what's my voice, right? But if all Christians say that, then sin becomes legal. Um, you know, if if everyone has that opinion that, well, we don't care what the moral compass of this country is, then eventually, you know, the devil's going to take over, right? Like he, he, he's the king of the, you know, the lion on the prowl, you know, all of the things in the Bible, um, you know, we're supposed to be that salt and light. We're supposed to be standing up against that sin. And so if you let the sin prevail and you don't make your voice heard, um, I think that responsibility is wholeheartedly on the Christians. Um, and so that's where I really see my responsibility and why I would encourage you all um, to take on that responsibility and to, and to make your voice heard in politics. Mm -hmm. Good. Very, very um, well argued position, Emma. And believe me, this uh, 10 years ago, I mean, I probably would have been saying similar things. And, and I, really what I'm going to say now is not really any fundamental disagreement except in the arena of through what apparatus and that might tie into your question Shaheen on the freedom issue so I want to say uh, I think a political channel is a viable platform um, through which to pursue uh, certain changes uh, not heart changes obviously I think everybody would agree you can't change the heart of a person through a political channel um, but obviously I mean right I mean we we I mean, none of us want abortion. When we had Marcus Pittman on, mm -hmm. Nathan, a couple of weeks ago, I mean, those guys are gung-ho with their End Abortion Now campaign, and they've brought in uh, speakers from, uh, you know, uh, uh, ethics guys mm -hmm. to politicians, et cetera, to sort of have a multidisciplinary approach to a pro-life agenda. I'm, I'm all for that. I think that's good. What I would say, Emma, is um, my inclination is to – use my time resources um, because I don't want to sit on the sidelines with a culture that is uh, deteriorating. Uh, I want to be engaged. I feel this is just me. I'm just giving my conviction. There's enough of an avenue through the means of the church, not just because I'm a pastor either, but through the interconnectedness of believers with unbelievers in the workplace and families, et cetera, to affect change through the preaching and living out of the gospel 
so that, of course, uh, when I've done Psalm 139 in church before, I'll say, look, I'm going to say up front, we believe abortion is murder. It's wrong. That might sound like a political statement to you, and it isn't, or at least that's not the way I'm using it. I'm making a moral God's word statement on the sanctity of life, which is without question. Um, So I feel that I can be engaged um, in this world, in the U.S., with people one-on-one, in larger groups, smaller groups, affecting change. And I would say to you or anybody else that was a little more politically minded, rock and roll, man. You, you, if, if you feel called to do that, go for it. I'm going to do it over here. Um, but right. you, you've been very quiet, Mr. Bell. <laughs> I know you you're the host, but I'm trying to get you. But no, do you mind? please, I actually, Emma. I just have a question. So, well, what I would say is that um, I, I'm intrigued by your, uh, your statement there just because I feel that um, we're all kind of used to this, you know, the liberty and the freedom that we have in this country, right? Yeah. And you actually just mentioned your friends in South Korea, I believe, um, where, where they're North Korea, wherever they, they aren't uh, given that freedom of speech, right? Yeah. Um, so if you elected a politician, right, and we can talk about um, gay marriage, which I know, uh, you know, I'm not really sure where your church stands on that issue, but the, um, you know, it starts there and it could go to a variety of topics. But if you talk about gay marriage, right, um, if you elect politicians, who think that uh, you know homosexuals should be able to get married, and you can have your own opinion on that. Um, but if you if you elect someone to that position and they pass that law, um, the next step could be, and we've seen this in other states, that they're then forcing your church to officiate those marriages. Mm-hmm. Right. The next step could be that if you're saying that homosexuality is a sin, it could be considered hate speech, and you could go to prison. Mm-hmm. And that's not a slippery slope argument. That's a that's a course of events that has been laid out, and that's why you see all of these religious liberty bills coming into effect. Sure. And so what I see is I, I'm actually kind of interested on in where you're getting this um, this conception that government. Not necessarily, because I understand the separation of church and state, but it almost seems that you think of government as this separate entity that's out mm-hmm. to, you know, strangle, I'm not really sure what, but I kind of get this tone that um, you're almost distrusting or you're just, you just don't think that you should be involved in it. Um, kind of like it's this separate thing that you can separate yourself from. Mm-hmm. But like my take on government, and I'm all about, I'm limited government till I die. Um, I'm mm-hmm. not about big government or regulation at all. But the government that I would see, my ideal government, is created by the people, for the people, acting at the will of the people, and at the interest of the people. So I come together with the people in this room and I say, let's pass a law that benefits us all. And that's why we elect representatives who represent the people in their state. And that's why I'm so about states' rights, because I don't think that you can pass blanket legislation that addresses the individual interests of every single person in this country. Mm-hmm. And so when I look at a small government, a local local government, a limited government that acts at the will of the people, I don't see any problem with someone stepping in and saying, I'm a pastor and these are my morals and values. And the other, you know, hundred people in my church feel the same way. And so we're going to go to our local delegate and we're going to let them know how we feel about that so that they can pass legislation in line with our beliefs. Because Mm -hmm. the government and people make this argument all the time when you're talking about a variety of moral issues, right? Like social justice, moral issues, abortion, uh, all that kind of stuff. And they make this argument that, uh, you know, like abortion, it's women's rights. You know, people will say that. 
Um, but you have to talk about, you know, it's the government isn't just there to talk about the majority voice. Mm-hmm. The majority may say it's women's rights, but the minority, or at least it feels like the minority, says that, you know, it's it's child's rights, right? It's it's a different, you know, and so we feel offended if you do pass those laws. And so the government isn't, you know, this body that can sit up there and say, well, these people, more people think this, so we're going to pass legislation. These people, we don't care about their views. Mm-hmm. Really, the government's there to protect the interest of all because it's for we the people. It's created by the people. Yeah. And so, so if legislation's passing that way as it as it was intended to be passed, um, that's really when it comes down to you know you as a as a pastor, like he said before, have so much influence mm-hmm. and you you have so, so much understanding of your congregation of where they stand, of where Scripture stands. So, like I said before, God has given you that gift and that privilege to have that knowledge. So why not use that as a platform? I'm not saying that you have to become a political officer, but if you could write a letter to your congressman saying. I know that the next bill coming up in the state of Maryland is to legalize gay marriage, and I would like to you to you know stand against that. Or the next bill coming up in the state of Maryland is to legalize abortion. I would like you to stand against that. Mm-hmm. To make your voice heard in that way and said, there's a hundred people in my church who support me on this. Your constituents feel this way. If you don't ever send that message, that person may be sitting in Annapolis saying, well, yeah, you know, I, th- I think that the people probably you know they want gay marriage. They probably want abortion. I want that, so they want that. Mm-hmm. If you never make your voice heard. Like I said, we're we're the, supposed to be salt and light. We're supposed to be that compass. So I'm almost I'm I'm almost I'm, I'm interested to hear your take on why mm-hmm. you kind of de- not all, not demonize it, but you put them in this position where I feel like they have to be separate or they have to be one. And I don't think mm-hmm. that it has to be either. Good, uh, good questions there, Emma. I think I definitely. How, how do I say this? Because I don't want to say like um, I'm trying to avoid with all my heart saying. Um, <laughs> I just want to do what Jesus did. So I've already outed myself there. How do I backpedal from that and sound less smug? (laughs) Um, I would say uh, when I've looked at the Gospels, now granted, one of the the, uh, underlying issues in this conversation is, I think you alluded to it earlier, Shaheen, it, it is a unique period in history. I mean, if you take global history, the last 200 years, there's been a country that admittedly has probably never had more freedom uh, than's probably ever existed in the history of the world. So I want to be cognizant of that. I don't want to just throw that out. Uh, So let me put that in one container for now and then say, but I'll go back to the first century. Obviously the government under which um, the new Testament unfolded was the Roman government. It was dictatorial. Caesar was King uh, in, in obviously a very literal sense and a, and a figurative sense. Um, my whole take on Jesus' posture towards government, and you guys correct me if you think I'm wrong on this, was one of disinterest, not hostility or endorsement. I, I, what I tend to see with Jesus is a position of disinterest, uh, such as, um, hey, you know, when they try to trap him, you know, should we pay taxes to Caesar? Oh, go, go get me a coin. You know, whose uh, who's face is on the coin? Oh, it's Caesar. Okay, we'll, we'll give unto him what's him and give to God what's God's. It's a, it's a brilliant uh, maneuver, for lack of a better term. It's, and I think it's just genuinely coming out of his heart that it almost seems that the government to him was background, that it in no way needed to impede what he was here to do, what we were here to do as believers, so that his... His position of disinterest is to me, maybe this is the best way to say it, what justifies me having the freedom to be disinterested 
I think what justifies your freedom to be very interested, which I, I fully affirm, is the fact that I don't think the scripture is, is crystal clear on this. I don't think we have a, a clear message. This might take either way on political involvement. And recognizing, um, as the men of Issachar were named in uh, what I think Second Chronicles, they were men who knew the times and knew what Israel should do. So I hear your heart, Emma, and I say, here's a young lady, very bright, very motivated, very energetic, who I think can do some really great things in that sphere. Um, and I think you can embrace that. I don't feel, for lack of a better term, the obligation to embrace it because all the energy that I could use in rallying the congregation to, um, you know, basically uh, go down to the state house. Uh, I know some pastors that do that. I've been invited to do that before uh, to the, uh, you know, Maryland legislature to make their voice heard. I, I would rather for me invest that in other other energies in terms of uh, discipleship, teaching, uh, engaging people to be engaged with their lost family members and friends, conversational, etc. With the caution that if politics comes up, try to find the point of connection that you can go to the gospel when you're in that evangelistic mode. So somebody brings up, you know, I've got some family members that truly believe George Bush and Dick Cheney were the most evil men who ever walked the face of it. And they believe that with all their hearts. I now feel more free that, okay, that's cool. You know, and I might even tell them, yeah, I don't really see it that way. But just out of curiosity, so-and-so, like, um, what is it that you would call evil? Like, is that just a preference of yours? Do you, and if it gets us to talk about what is God's standard of evil, does man get to define the standard? We're having meaningful conversations. They might even be tense. But I feel like I've taken them out of the political realm and I'm able to engage point-for-point point gospel. Um, so, so is there a reason you can't have both? No, I think you can I just, I just don't want to have both. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you're being very kind to me. I wonder if you're going to drive out here and say, man, this bald dude drove me nuts <laughs> with his stuff. Um, you want to weigh in on this, Shaheen? Um, I, I don't think it is the – I don't think it is – the realm of government to uh-huh. to weigh in on our lives to that level. Um, I actually history has borne out that those with power abuse power, mm-hmm. and I don't trust them with making decisions for my life. Mm-hmm. So in that regard, so I am small government in that regard, but I don't I don't actually believe the Republican is a small government party either. Um, and I'm glad to hear you say that you think Democrats – as a Democrat, I'm happy to hear you say that you think Democrats can be a Christian. Mm. And I know that you were expecting me to just totally take the hard-line conservative stance here, but like <laughs> – We'll get there. Uh, <laughs> so, hold on, dude. Are you admitting on this podcast you are a registered Democrat? I, I am a registered Democrat. Whoa, hold on. Stop it. Stop the tape. No, I'm the, kidding. The church course. building has not <laughs> caught in fire. <laughs> Um, oh, Shahid, you've lost so many Facebook friends. Go on. <laughs> That's okay. My news feed is yeah. getting just <laughs> awfully cluttered with a lot of vitriol lately. Um, actually, I was just talking with somebody today who has I, – I wanted to tag him on a post. It was just a funny video, and I couldn't find it. I was like, bro, where's your, uh, where's your Facebook? He's like, election years, I shut my Facebook down. Wow, man. So, 
Wow. Which actually, I was like, that might be a good idea. Wow. Because <laughs> then I sit there and I start reading it. I'm like, what the? No. Oh. Yeah. And then I just like, you know what? Nope. Got to go. I, wow. I got to shut this down. I can't. I can't get into this. Wow. Um. But I. I mean, I. I don't trust government with more power. I don't trust government with making moral decisions for me. I want government to create an atmosphere where I am free to practice my religion mm -hmm. in so far as it does not uh, impede on somebody else. It's not hurting somebody else. If my religion were to practice human sacrifice, like there, there, you have to draw a line, say that that can't be allowed to continue. Mm -hmm. But if I am free to practice my religion that says I don't have to endorse gay marriage, then I should be free to do that. Mm -hmm. And so what I don't want is to then take my views and impose them on everybody. Mm -hmm. I want everybody to be free and I want everybody to have the opportunity to engage in, I think the kind of dialogue that you're talking about, the person to person ministry where mm -hmm. heart change happens. Jesus ministry here was heart change. It wasn't to work through a political system. It wasn't to uh, overthrow Rome. I agree with you on that point. Mm -hmm. But, but then also kind of dovetailing to what we have here in the United States being anomalous, I think mm -hmm. that we ought to work hard to preserve that. Sure. And so if it goes too far one extreme or the other mm -hmm. is where I grow very uncomfortable with yeah. that. I, I'm not willing to relinquish that mm -hmm. right over my own life, over my own domain. Yeah. No. Uh, 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 well said. I um... – uh, my wife and I talked about this today, just so you know, she's, uh, and I, I'll, I'll go back to you on this one, Emma. She's, uh, she's a little worried. She's like, what are you going to say tonight? She's much more politically minded than I am and, uh, is excited to get out there tomorrow and, uh, you know, pull the lever. Um, and <laughs> there's uh, an election right tomorrow. <laughs> well, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. And I'm going to tell you, and Emma, this might really, you're such a kind girl, but this might really boil your blood. I'm not planning to do anything tomorrow. I mean, I'm planning to work. We're going to change that tonight, aren't we? <laughs> oh, there you go. I love it. I'm not planning to go out tomorrow myself and to exercise my right to not. Now, I do believe the most obnoxious person is the person who doesn't vote. And then complains. And then complains. You don't yeah. get to do that. I, I agree. Mean, I just I agree. Think, forfeit your right to complain. Yeah, you, you cannot complain about the person. I just, hey, I just, well, let me say this. Part of the reason that's where I am tonight as we're recording this the night before the Maryland uh, primary um, is because I'll go on record to say, actually, I can't remember Shaheen. If I'm a registered independent or Republican. It's been a while. I was going to be one and I changed back and forth. I, I don't even remember, but it would be nice to have a viable independent party. Yes, I know. And part of it is Maryland is such an obviously, you know, as we all know, it's a blue state um, that I'm just, I don't know. I sometimes wonder, Emma, if I lived in Ohio, you know, a much more classic swing state where there's some more. I don't know. There's a sense that your vote really matters. I know that's anathema to say because I would imagine say your vote always matters. And I think it does. I think there's a way that you can say that from a constant standpoint, from affecting change, building a coalition. Pragmatically speaking, I just living in the state, I kind of know the way it's going to go. Um, come November. So I'm just that coupled with my disinterest makes me rather go to Chick-fil-A tomorrow and extend my lunch. Uh, that's just me on this. Now, Nathan, are you going to go out and vote tomorrow? Um, I probably will not. Okay. Um, Ooh, 
Yeah. So you got two. Shaheen, are yeah. you going to vote? I'm feeling the burn. Oh, man. <laughs> okay. So, um, Emma, I'm going to ask you a hard question. Are you going to go out tomorrow and vote? <laughs> of course I am. Yeah. I think I know who you're going to vote for. <laughs> Which Wait, I want to talk Trump? about Cruz, too. <laughs> yeah, now, does Cruz, Cruz know that? Now, Greg, yeah. um, you kind of threw me out a little bit ago and yes. said I hadn't been speaking much, um, which is true. But part of it is I really I wanted to um, really let Emma and Shaheen, you know, kind of weigh in and, and you know, say some things here. Um, I think as you and I have talked so many times and, and I truly believe this, um, first of all, I don't think that going out and voting um, for our president is going to make a difference. Mm-hmm. that's where I am. I've come to the decision that I don't think whoever sits in that position in the White House is going to make a difference as to, you know, the way things are going to go in this country. I mean, case in point, Emma, you were talking about the government and the Constitution, and we have seen clear examples of how our current president has violated the Constitution and has gotten away with it. Mm -hmm. And so I don't think that's going to make a difference. Now, I do agree. I think at the local level, and this is where I'm more interested, at the local level, um, how things are being put into effect, what laws are being put out there, I, I do take more interest in in what's going on there. And so in terms of am I going to go out tomorrow and am I going to vote for um, a presidential candidate no but am i going to go out and vote for some of the local things that are taking place yeah i i I am more interested in what local laws are being um being put out there to be voted on and i think that's where my voice is heard and i think that's where i take more of an interest that's Mm -hmm. where i would say i'm not politically apathetic Mm -hmm. so i think you and i would differ a little bit on that aspect right i'm pretty across the board right now if Lisa were here, she would tell you guys that I'm pathetic. <laughs> That's in life. In politics, I'm apathetic. Which to me should mean not pathetic. It should be a negating prefix, but for some reason it's not. I don't fully get that. But I just want to be clear on that. Um, yeah, no, I mean, but I, I get that. I, again, I, I guess I think, um, okay, good a uh, friend of mine and and a relative actually work for a ministry in Harford County, and I know everybody's going to applaud this, no matter you know where you stand uh, politically or not. Uh, they work for a well each different ministries uh, to minister to um, mothers of unwanted pregnancies. Man, I, I just that that I don't know that excites me more yeah. than the political channels. Mm-hmm. Now we just had Marcus Pittman on and abortion now. Those guys are, are, are pushing some hard, politically edged stuff. I understand why they're doing it. So part of it might be temperament and wiring. Mm-hmm. I just, I, I don't know. I, I feel more engaged in, in that aspect of the pro-life fight, for instance. Mm-hmm. You know, And okay. again, I think what you said earlier, I mean, does it have to be either or? No. Uh, of course not. I think it can be both. Sometimes, though, I, uh, what I have seen is Christians that feel they've been socially active Solely because they're dyed-in-the-wool conservatives or libertarians or Republicans or pro-life Democrats or what have you that have checked the box. I've done my part. And I always think, man, there's, there's so much we can do on a one-on-one level. Mm-hmm. You know, I love the thought of just, a uh, uh, number one, a woman who's told, we're going to love you and minister to you even if you make the decision right. that we think is wrong. 
I, I love that grace-based approach, you know. Uh, and I think what is going to happen, and it has, is it captures that woman's heart to think, wow, these people love me and they care about me as a person. And hopefully more and more babies are being saved through that kind of means. But I, no, I, I can tell you want to comment on that. Yeah, and I, I wouldn't demean what you're doing at all. I think that you know taking your time to uh, minister to people who are lost is an absolutely you know noble and honorable thing to be doing. Um, and I wouldn't take away from that in saying that I think that uh, you don't have to be forced to lobby on Capitol Hill. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think that you have to write letters to your congressman. Mm -hmm. um, if, if that's not your calling, if that's not your passion, if that's not your talent, um, God doesn't bless us all the same way. Um, so I would agree with you completely in that. But I do think that um, in especially what you just mentioned about going to the voting booth and voting for every candidate except the president, it almost seems like a protest. Um, and when you say, well, I don't think my voice matters, I don't think that the policy matters, um, you know, whatever your opinion is on that, I think that the protest um, – that choosing not to vote that protest is uh, is almost irrelevant. It's a silent protest, right? So you go out, they count the votes at the end of the day, and if you didn't vote, you're not counted, and nobody knows you didn't vote. Um, at least I would say if, you, if you're upset with the way that your party, you know, so this political election is a great election to say because there are a lot of Republicans who like no candidates that are running. There are a mm -hmm. lot of Democrats who like no candidates that are running. Mm -hmm. But I would much rather have a lot of Republican friends who went out to the voting booths and wrote in Mickey Mouse as their president, presidential candidate mm -hmm. than not vote at all. Because what happens is the you know the primary results go through and they say wow ten percent of the Republican Party did a writing candidate and that's going to scare the crap out of the Republican Party going into the next election right because they're going to say why aren't these people voting for us they should be voting for us right mm -hmm. so then they then they start making changes and they start saying well so, well something needs to change because we need to appeal to these people again if they think you just slept through election day it makes no difference mm -hmm. and so i don't really think it's so much about winning an election i would agree um you know maybe a hundred percent you have the electoral college and there's so much corruption and uh, i would agree that maybe you can make the case that your vote doesn't count especially in maryland maybe your vote doesn't count if you're voting republican um but registering that vote registering that you paid attention enough and 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 honestly, like the whole conversation we're having, you can say, well, I don't care about the policies that are being made. I think there's a more important use of my time. But the two minutes that it takes to go down to your local polling place and check that box, it can make a world of difference if that candidate is elected. Mm -hmm. In Maryland, I'll tell you specifically, I'm working on the Cruz campaign, right? And so our goal in Maryland is to get, obviously, more delegates than Trump. We're a proportional election. Mm -hmm. So if a proportion of the people in Maryland vote for Cruz instead of Trump, we get those delegates at the convention that could change the outcome of this mm -hmm. election. Sure, right? I see that. And so, so, so the votes, especially this election, in the past it hasn't so much, but especially this election, it matters so much to get every single voter out there. And even if you say, well, I don't care about any of the candidates, the thing is that Everyone here, everyone in this room is going to be impacted by the decisions that they make. You mentioned before about Obama, um, you know, our current president doing unconstitutional actions and people letting him get away with that. Well, if you elect a president who believes in the Constitution, who memorized it by the time he was 12 years old, uh, you know, who, 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 who you now, know, no, who <laughs> believes in the Constitution and who believes in upholding it, then you're curbing that abuse of power, right? So that's, that's your way of putting someone in office who's going to change the moral direction of this country back to the way that we all believe. And so what I see is that if you put someone in office, and I know you just said you're a Bernie Sanders fan, but we can just, you know, say who, who. We can come back to that. <laughs> but, but, you know, 
who who enacts socialist policies, who allows universal. I mean, Donald Trump believes in universal health care, so you know, put out universal health care. Um, you know, and you start adding those tax dollars to our mounting debt, and and then you lose your job. The minimum wage goes up, and you lose your job. Um, someone, you know, Hillary Clinton goes in office and makes uh, abortion legal all the way through birth, right? Like that's something she has on the docket. Um, you know, and that that affects you because then you know people that murdered their babies quite literally right before they were born. You know people who then, you know, legislation is passed federally with this next president who, you know, like I said before, makes homosexuality legal. So mm-hmm. then you as a you as a pastor who are offering a, you know, actually your churches for service to the public, now the argument's made that you must officiate, right? And so like it goes on and on where if you don't make your voice heard, you just said you have no room to complain. But when it starts impacting you personally, when it's your job that's lost, when it's your friend who has that abortion, when it you know, and on and on and on it's almost like, well, we have the responsibility to make that call because it's going to affect you in the long run. So why not take two minutes out of your day to check the box? Mm. If it means nothing, well, then it meant nothing. But if it means something, at least take that effort, right? That's I agree with challenge. everything she just said. That's actually. a good challenge. No, I really mean it. I mean, the, the two minutes, it's hard to argue with. <laughs> I literally live a minute from my – it's my kids' elementary school down – down the street. It's how easy it would be. So you have to check in with me tomorrow. I'm going to see what I did. <laughs> the one thing I would say, though, about o- Obama ch- uh, deliberately challenging the Constitution mm-hmm. and getting away with it, that's still yet to be determined. I agree. Right. But a lot of those are going through the court system now. Mm-hmm. And like he's tried in an unprecedented oh, way yeah. to extend executive power mm-hmm. and to push the envelope yeah. a lot. And then people are just like, wait, 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 hold on. Time out, you can't do that. Nope, can't do that either. Nope, can't do that. And, he, and he's basically said, fine, then prove it. Yeah. And it's going to have to percolate through the system, and it's going to take a while. And I think some of that will be borne out. It'll be very interesting to see we how actually, it plays out. We saw the same thing with George Bush. And I mean, so he did the same thing with abusing executive power. It's been so much more under the Obama administration, but you can't say that it's a partisan yep. issue. Yep. And no, so I think you're right. Yeah. It's going to go through the court system. But that's why I think that uh, you know this election cycle, we've had so much emphasis on electing an outsider, right? Bernie Sanders has that appeal. Ted Cruz has that appeal when he wrote his book on against the Washington cartel. Donald Trump has that appeal. And I I think the reason people want that outsider so bad is because they see the corruption going on. Um, Republicans, especially the corruption of the Washington cartel of the Republican insiders, the Republican elite Um, and Democrats see the same thing happening with these inside deals on Washington. Um, And so I absolutely I think that it's it's not necessarily a partisan divide. And I wouldn't be trying to demonize the Democrat Party by saying that Obama's overstepped his bounds. Um, But I do think that that, yeah, it's a it's. It's well, <laughs> we've we've lost the statesmen. We don't have right. statesmen anymore. We have career politicians that right. go there right. and get rich off the system. And so right. people watch this and they're like, "Well, hold on a second. What what's going on? Why right. why 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 is this a viable career path? Why right. can't you go do a public service and then leave leave right. and right. live with the decisions that you enacted?" Dude, the last time I even remember, I'm going to date myself here. <laughs> remember anybody pledging. Uh, that I can recall in recent modern American history that they would do one term was Ross Perot. Do you remember that? In 92. Wait, does anybody remember? How old were you guys? Well, you weren't even around, I right? was not born yet. Wow. Sahin, <laughs> what were you doing like 92? I was in high school. Okay. Yeah, so I, I remember mean, Ross Perot. Yeah, because I remember he pledged to do like one term. Um, and I remember that was shocking. Like, no way. Nobody pledges that. Yeah. Because they want to make a career out of it. And I will say, actually... My shift, because I was probably like a number of evangelical Christians, registered Republican, 
would definitely say, you know, um, that would, would, would be where I would, would tie in. And, and for the most part, if you extract from me all my personal views, they're, they're going to line up much more uh, there with some libertarian thrown in for, for good mix. <laughs> but I think, um, as I understand it, and I'm not an expert on, the, on, on these things by any means. I, I look at them at a distance. But the, uh, uh, Lisa and I just watched The Big Short. Have you guys seen that? I read the book. I haven't yes. seen the movie. Yes. And, uh, you know, Mark Sweeney, who's been a guest here, told me the book is far better than the movie. It always is. Always is. Books are always, always better. But just even out of that, I mean, here at the end of the big short, you know, you've got these five or six different entities that saw the housing crisis years before it took place and basically brilliantly bet against it. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's, that's what the short was. They were shorting the housing market. And as I grasp it, they even had to invent I think it was mm-hmm. called the, the credit default swap or something that, you know, they've got Christian Bale's character basically telling Wall Street. They're like, if you want to give us money, we're going to take it. You know, I mean, and he buys hundreds of millions of dollars of these this product that they basically had to invent to get against, uh, bet against the housing market. So the end of it, of course, in 08, sure enough, the bubble burst. It's absolutely catastrophic. And, and am I right on this? Obama gets all the uh, blame, but didn't Bush initiate the big bank bailouts? Yes. Mm-hmm. So that was Bush. Yeah. Yes. So in a sense, I mean, like me in 04, 2000, okay, Bush, he's an evangelical, right? I, I believe he claims it. He's a Christian guy. And Obama gets all this heat for this you know, big government bailout, and he basically perpetuated what Bush started. So around that time, honestly, I became a little bit more probably jaded. It's like, oh my gosh, I'm so tired of the whole thing, you know. It just seems um, to be more and more of the same, you know. And I'm not even saying, even trying to comment on the fact that should you or should you not have uh, uh, bailed out the banks, as much as saying, I'm not even sure if I see a clear difference anymore, how much is rhetoric, and then when it comes down to brass tacks, it seems like everybody does the same thing. Now, I bet, Emma, you're going to tell me, not so with Ted, who you can trust. Right, right. Trust Ted. Right. Trust Ted. That's right. Now, Trump calls him Lion Ted. Oh, Lord. Don't yeah. get me started there. And crazy Megan Kelly, right? Yeah, right, right. Can't trust course, anyone. Right. No, Trump, um, Trump says whatever occurs to him in the yes, moment. Yes, he does. With zero filter. Yes. Um, I would say, in terms of not being able to see a difference, um... The, really, the the whole bubble that you saw burst. Um, of course, we know the market's cyclical, right? So there are there are booms and busts. Um, but really, that came a lot of out of uh, deregulation, cutting taxes when there was a war that we were spending money on, um, and a lot of Republican policies that kind of went awry. I don't think that it was so much um, we're going to, you know, big government spending. I think that really the stimulus and the the big government, uh, you know, bailing out the banks was a response to policies that didn't work out as intended. I don't think that it was so much um, uh, George Bush coming in and uh, acting as a Democrat. I think it was more of a correction, um, which Obama then, like you said, perpetuated, kind of continued. So I wouldn't really say that they're identical in the way that they approach the issues. What I would say is that there has been a lot of... uh, cooperation a lot of um what's the word um compromising that's Mm -hmm. the word compromising Mm -hmm. um and so a lot of people and i love i love when you and i know it's not going to make as much sense when i don't have my hands here but a lot of people have talked a lot about how uh over time the left has continued to move left 
right? And and the right has traditionally stayed about as fixed as where it is. Mm-hmm. And so what you've seen over time is you've seen that, you know, in the past, you've got, you know, your right hand and your left hand and smack dab in the middle is where compromise is made. But over time, as the left continues to move lefter and the right stays where it is, that compromise point becomes further left mm-hmm. every year, right? Sure. And so, so what happens over time is that a lot of Republicans are saying, were sellouts. You know, you look back at when Bill Clinton ran for office, right? He ran for office on the platform that he was going to deport 12 million illegal immigrants. Mm -hmm, Now mm -hmm. his wife is running for office with amnesty for all, Mm -hmm. right? And so you look at the change in the Democratic Party over time and you see that difference and you say, okay, well, Republicans are sellouts. Republicans are are giving into bailouts. Republicans are giving into this and giving into that. And what you see is, well, well, the system was created for gridlock, right? Congress was created with two houses so that things wouldn't go go quickly, right? It's not supposed to give into the passions of the people. It's supposed to be a slow and arduous process so that the things that actually are written into law are things that are, you know, intelligent, things that aren't just, you know, passionately thrown year by year. And so the system is supposed to work slowly. And so what you've seen over time is that it, it requires compromise to make anything happen in Washington. And so what you have is either people saying, you know, I'll say first and foremost, well, Republicans aren't doing what I want them to do. I don't think that the Republicans party is acting in my best interest. And I know a lot of Democrats who say, well, the Democratic Party isn't working in my best interest either, right? Neither of us are really getting what we want. And the reason for it is that well, we're both continuing to compromise, but as we compromise, the left keeps running left. And as a result, the right is starting this election cycle you see especially is starting to run right. That's why you see the tenthers. That's why you see the Tea Party, because they're saying, wait a second. I'm not going to let the Republican Party, when the left moves left, start moving over here, right? I don't want to see the Republican Party start moving left as a result of trying to get things done in Washington to make people happy. I want I want my party back, right? And so that's what you're seeing is you're seeing this chain reaction of Ted Cruz, of the outsider candidates, Ben Carson, Carly Fiorina, Donald Trump, who are saying, well, I want to take my party back. Mm-hmm. And so, so that's why I really, I mean, you can say it's a cliche, well, Ted Cruz won't do that. But I really think that this election cycle is showing, like I said before, government is a party of the people by the people acting at the will of the people. Well, what the people want right now is to take their party back on the Republican side. On the Democratic side, I feel like they really feel the same thing, that their party Party maybe isn't acting in their interest either, and so they really want—they uh, really want the same thing. And so, what you end up seeing, like I like I kind of alluded to before, is that maybe not so much, uh, you know, the Republican Party is bowing to the interest and becoming more Democrat. I think it's really this compromise that you're seeing, and that just like you just said, well, we can't see the lines. We're upset. I think a lot of Republicans who are voting this election cycle are saying the same thing, mm-hmm. and so that's why you see this chain reaction of the candidates that we have now, who people call radicals because they're so staunchly right, um, and it's really just a reaction to this continued compromise. Interesting. We are uh, rapidly out of time not wow. running out of time we are out of time I feel like we just uh, started man. I know right wait wait we haven't even gotten it. Can, I, can I get to one thing Nathan alright Shaheen <laughs> am I right are, like are you willing to put, put it out there are you a are you a Bernie man okay so <laughs> wow I mean we should be able to wrap that up in like two minutes <laughs> So if you put the podcast on 2x speed, then we could go for two hours and they could just (laughs) listen faster. There you go. (laughs) Chipmunk it, man. Good. Um, Okay, so there are some things that I like about Bernie, Uh um, such as the fact that he was definitely not in support of the bank bailout. Right, yeah. yeah. Um, I I would agree. Had Bernie been at the helm there, I I don't think he would have done it. No. Well, I mean, that's what he says. Right, right. Right. 
Um, there are definitely things I'm opposed to. I'm, I'm pro-life. Uh-huh. So that's a huge issue. That's a huge issue for me, for any candidate who's not pro-life. Right. Uh, I also live in Maryland. And so in this particular instance, it's safer for me to help Bernie win the nomination because he's more susceptible to defeat to, say, Ted Cruz. Interesting. Okay. Than Hillary would be. Now, with that said, I am a registered Democrat and I am more liberal, if you will, on certain issues. Um, I don't think I would support uh, the legalization of gay marriage per se, but I wouldn't oppose it either Mm -hmm. because I think that – I think it's a it's a contractual agreement between two individuals for the purposes of getting health care and buying a house and things like that. And I honestly don't care. Uh And I I think – what happens in marriage between a man and human woman as the Bible defines it, mm-hmm. uh, it is a spiritual thing. It has nothing to do with what the government says is okay or is not okay. Mm-hmm. So then there are other issues such as the environment. There's, there's real issues with the Chesapeake Bay mm-hmm. that Republicans don't actually care about. Uh, I travel a lot for work. I can tell you I walk off an airplane in California – and I can smell a palpable difference in the quality of the air. Really, and it isn't one time that this occurs. Every time I'm there, you, I, I notice it. So whatever they're doing is working, mm. and that comes with a price. And if we live in a society and we're charged with, to your point earlier, preserving our natural resources, then it shouldn't be a one party does it and one party doesn't. But as it turns out, that is something that only one party seems to give a crap about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh um, my. Oh my. So, so, so in that regard there, you know, but then I am pro second amendment as well. Sure. And, and you know, you're you saying really earlier, mix. Is it, huh? yeah. you really are a mix. Yeah, yeah. I'm a mix. So, and it's a different way of solving the problem. Maybe in other circumstances, I might right. think that, it would work. I, I don't know. I'm not so naive to think that disarmament works because criminals are still going to find guns. Right. Right. So, so like, I don't think that's real, but in a utopic world, nobody's killing anybody either. We right. don't live there. Right. So, mm-hmm. so I'm more pragmatic in the sense that yes, I want to have and maintain the right to bear arms. Yeah. So do, do you remember, um, the dude in, um, in happy Gilmore, who uh, was a guy with a nail perpetually in his head. You remember that dude? Yes. And you remember when he's, he's on the golf course? It's my favorite T-shirt. He's got the thing. Guns don't kill people. I kill people. <laughs> <laughs> amazing. An amazing shirt. Um, so, uh, but am I right on this, Shaheen? Because I, I would say a, a, a Christian I met recently, who I greatly respect, uh, I will keep his identity secret because I don't want to embarrass Nathan. No, it wasn't Nathan. I promise. It was not Nathan <laughs> Bell. But told me, he said, well, Greg, I'm going to tell you something that I rarely tell any Christian. I voted for Obama in 08. And, and honestly, I have to admit, as apolitical as I've become, I was shocked. And, and he knew I was shocked. Because I said, what? you're joking. He goes, no, I did. I voted for him. And uh, I said, okay, talk to me about that. Yeah, I, I was just curious because I, I didn't, my conscience, this is me, would not have voted for him either time. And my first thing I went to was the pro-life thing because that was the hardest thing for me. He said, you know, uh, he said Obama in many ways disgusted me, particularly on that issue. And we talked about that. I said, so what I found fascinating was in his mind, again, you get into the freedom of conscience issue, 
there was a way for him to maintain a passionate pro-life stance and vote for Obama. Now, what I would say is I might disagree and a number of people might disagree on his methodology for getting to that point. But I think we do have to broaden a little bit and say, okay, you know, you, you had a methodology. Um, in other words, he said, I felt that my pro-life impulses, I was going to put them to work here. And he had kind of given up on whoever the president is affecting any change in that regard. Now, obviously you get into issues like, well, my word, he gets to, you know, to, to appoint a Supreme Court justice, which probably has significant impact. At that point in 08, that wasn't quite as much the issue as it's going to be now with um, uh, Scalia's you know, mm-hmm. recent death. Um, but anyway, I just wanted to say that it was the first time I thought, and this is a committed believer. This is a died-in-the-wool evangelical Christian who is passionately pro-life. So it broadened my horizons a little bit in understanding these issues are a bit complex. So there are things about Bernie that you like, um, things about him you don't like. Did I hear you right, Shaheen, that you would rather, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, see Cruz in than Bernie? Because at one point you said, hey, if I vote for Bernie, that's strategic. Uh, because if he were to somehow win the nomination, you think he's more beatable in the general election. That's correct, yeah. So in wow. other words, it sounds to me like you have a strategic um, uh, principle or set of principles in your mind that are beyond just oh, who I'm voting for tomorrow. Correct. In other words, you you, you yeah. see a map. So 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 the thing you 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 hit the nail on the head with the su- Supreme Court nominations. Yeah. Uh, you know, while the present president cannot stroke a law that strikes down Roe versus Wade, sure. Yeah. He can name a Supreme Court nominee. Uh, Obama's already named at least two, right? I so believe so. This will be so. the third one. Yeah. 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 So this will be the third one. Uh, that's enough to swing a court, right? Right. right. Not. It's a nine judge panel sure so three nominations that's very significant and so while voting democrat or republican i think can be more nuanced in my case it can be more nuanced in smaller issues my reason for voting for bernie is because that's a big issue Mm -hmm. and i would rather have somebody i don't want trump to win the nomination yeah and even though there may be some skullduggery that happens at the electrical electoral <laughs> college yeah. to keep him from getting the nomination, which by the way, I think actually could possibly marginalize Cruz because then people are like, see, it's the system. Yeah. I don't know. That could really backfire. I'm not sure. But anyway, interesting. E- even if I saw that happen, I would support that in this particular case. Cause I think Trump is truly tragic for the fate of America. I think mm-hmm. it's very, very bad for us. Yeah. And I think that uh, Bernie is a more beatable candidate than Hillary. Interesting. Do you mind if I, uh, I actually, yeah. I know we're almost out of time, but I just wanted to weigh in. Uh, I, I see the appeal for Bernie Sanders, not quite maybe in the same way you see, but uh, in the whole uh, beating the corruption in Washington. Um, I read Ted Cruz's book. It was, you know, life changing in me deciding to be, you know, supporting him as a candidate. Mm-hmm. Um, because one of the things he talks so heavily about um, is this Washington cartel. Mm-hmm. And it's about how he got to Washington and he tells you how he got in there and he realized that it was it was, you know, a gang a gang of people on both sides of the aisle just making decisions to further their own careers. Um and that they weren't actually speaking for the people. They weren't actually speaking for the Constitution. Mm. Um and I think that Bernie Sanders has the same mentality. I actually know there's only 
um, three senators on Capitol Hill. Bernie Sanders is one of them. Ted Cruz is another. Um, and I'm blanking on the third right now, um, but who don't accept money from PAC fundraisers. And so mm. what that is, is it's when when they go to Capitol Hill, you know, you'll come in as a senator. You have a few million dollars in debt um, and a PAC fundraiser. You'll come up and say, hey, uh, I'll retire your debt. You do nothing. All I need you to do is go to this dinner with the green, you know, the, you know, with the NRA, go to this, uh, you know, this dinner with Monsanto, you know, and on and on and on. Um, you know, it costs you nothing. Just go to dinner with them. Right. And then, and then deals start being cut. And then, well, I give you money. So you're going to vote on this. Right. And so that's where the corruption comes into play. And there's only a few senators, both of them included, uh, both of the candidates we're discussing who don't accept that money because mm. they see the corruption that's going on. And so I, I understand the appeal for Bernie Sanders really my biggest problem with him um, and is I think what we were talking about before about addressing issues from different standpoints about we, we all see the same problems. So like you talk about the environment. I don't think anyone in, in this room who's a Republican would say that there aren't issues with the environment. The Chesapeake Bay, there's problems with. Um, you know, you can talk about, you know, like you were saying, air pollution. It, it's a problem. Um, I think that the difference is that Republicans prioritize it in a different way. So it's not that we say there isn't an issue. It's just that for me particularly, uh, Bernie Sanders, Obama, right, is is going on right after the Paris bombings and saying global warming is the biggest security threat to this country mm -hmm. the same week, right? Mm -hmm. And so to me, I look at that and I say, you're blind. Mm -hmm. We're facing a war here with ISIS, right? And so Ted Cruz comes up on stage and he says, the most important thing is security. The most important thing is building our military, is funding our military, is eradicating ISIS, right? The second most, and he goes down the list. And I think that that environmental issues are on that list. I just don't think they're at the top of that list. And yeah. so Bernie Sanders in particular, I don't disagree with a lot, a lot of his policy. I'm like, yeah, that's good. That's good. Those things need to change. But if you go to ontheissues.com and you look up Bernie Sanders and you look at his foreign policy, mm -hmm. it doesn't say eradicate ISIS. It says ISIS isn't our problem. We need to face on domestic issues like the gender wage gap and transgender rights. Okay. And so you look at that and you say, okay, those may be things that need to be addressed, but are you going to have those rights if we're, you know, there's another 9-11 attack, mm -hmm. right? Like, like, is that really the priority right now? And so that's the big thing for me is that I think that this election cycle is bringing to light a lot of issues. Um, but I think that when prioritizing those issues, that's when we see the, the difference in, in the approach. I don't think that it's, I don't think that Democrats don't care about our national security. I think that Obama genuinely believes that that leading from behind is the best way to approach a terrorist organization. Mm -hmm. I disagree. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's, that's what I, that's the real problem that I see there, but I definitely understand the appeal and I would definitely say, feel the burn before you vote for Hillary. Yeah. Any day. So. <laughs> Feeling the burn. We are great um, out of time. Unfortunately. How long have we been going? Uh, we're going to end around uh, an hour and 15 minutes. Wow. So, yep. Wow. Doesn't feel like it does. No, it does actually not. really doesn't. No. no, that was great. And we Thank didn't you. get to your second question. I, we didn't. But so, see, we need a follow up. As a professional podcaster, see, brother, a year ago you might Teased have made it. that rookie mistake. I know, Teased but it. now you're like, why put out the second? That's right, because what we'd love to do is have you both back on, absolutely, and uh, talk about this before uh, before the elections come around in November. So, and I will say, I'll give a little preview to our audience. We're going to have Tim Challies on just before the Republican convention mm -hmm. in July. Um, I thought that would be great because Tim is a brilliant Christian dude. He's been on before. He's at the epicenter of Christian blogosphere. He's a Canadian, Canadian evangelical. It's almost cool to get a Canadian literally outside mm -hmm. the lines take yeah. on what's happening. 
because I I am from a sheer entertainment standpoint. Uh, not, I shouldn't say entertainment, curiosity standpoint. Uh, going to be very interested to see what happens as we get close to this convention because it might be a, a first in recent American history. So That's right. we're going to have many opportunities in an election year because people want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so would you guys, can we commit? We'd love to have you back on again. Definitely. I'd look forward to it. Awesome. Right. Great. Yeah. So uh, we are going to go ahead and sign off now. Shaheen, Greg, Emma, we just rocked the Casper. Rocked. These go to 11.